The War of the Wales by H.G. Wales. Chapter 12 Where they saw of the destruction of Way Bridge and Shepherdon. As the dawn drew brighter, we withdrew from the window from which we had watched the Martians went very quietly downstairs. The trillion man agreed with me the house was no place to stay in. Repose, he said, to make his way Londonward. Thence to rejoin his battery, number 12, in the horse artillery. A plan was to turn at once to Leverhead. So greatly where the strength of the Martians oppressed me, I had determined to take my wife to New Haven and go with her out the country forthwith. For I already perceived clearly that the country round London must inevitably be a scene of disastrous struggle before such creatures as these could be destroyed. Between us and Leverhead, however, lay the third senator, with its guarding giants. Had I been alone, I think I should have taken my chance and struck across country, but the attorney man dissuaded me. In no kindness is the right sort of wife, he said, to make a widow. In the end, I agreed to go with him, and cover the woods northward, as far as Street and Cobham, before I parted with him. Thence, I would make a big detour by Epsom to reach Leverhead. I should have started at once, but my companion, being in active service, he knew better than that. He made me ransack the house for a flask, which he filled with whiskey. He lined every available pocket with packets of biscuits and slices of meat. We crept out the house ran as quickly as we could, down the ill-made road by which I had come overnight. Houses seemed deserted, and in the road lay a group of three charred bodies close together, struck dead by the heat ray. And here and there were things that people had dropped, a clock, a slipper, a silver spoon, and like poor valuables. At the corner turning up towards the post office, a little cart filled with boxes of furniture, horses heeled over on broken wheel, cash box being hastily smashed open and thrown under the debris. Except the lodge at the orphanage, which was still on fire, none of the houses had suffered very greatly here. Heat rays shaved the chimney tops and paths, yet save ourselves. There had not seemed to be a living soul in Maybury Hill. Majority inhabitants had worked skate, followed by way of the old walking road, a road I had taken when I drove to Leverhead, or they had hidden. We went down to the lane by the body of the man in black, stood a nail from the overnight hell, and broke into the woods at the foot of the hill. We pushed through these towards the railway without meeting a soul. The woods Across the line were but scarred and blackened ruins of woods. For the most part, the trees had fallen, but a certain proportion still stood dismal grey stems with dark brown foliage instead of green. On our side of the fire had done no more than scorch the nearby trees. It failed to secure it its footing. In one place, a woodman had been at work on Saturday. Trees found and freshly trimmed lay in the clearing with heaps of sawdust by his sawing machine, his engine, hard by, by was a temporary hut deserted. 
There was not a breath of wind this morning. Everything was strangely still. Even the birds were hushed. They'd be hurried along. I and the artillery men were talked in whispers. Looked now and again over our shoulders. Once or twice we stopped to listen. After a time we drew near the road. As we did so we heard a clatter of hoots. Saw through the tree stems three cavalry soldiers riding slowly towards Woking. We held them. And they held it while they halted while we hurried towards them. The lieutenant, a couple of privates, the eighth hussars, with a stand like a fulminate light, which his artillery man told me was a helograph. You are the first men I've seen coming this way this morning, said the lieutenant. What's brimming? His voice and face were eager. A man behind him stared curiously. The artillery man jumped down the bank into the road and saluted. Gun destroyed last night, sir. I've been hiding, trying to rejoin battery, sir. Come in sight of the Martians, I spent about half a mile along the road. What the dickens are they like? asked the lieutenant. Giants in armour, sir, hundred feet high, three legs, a body like lunamum, but a mighty great head and odd, sir. Get out, said the lieutenant. What confounded nonsense. You see, sir, they carry a kind of box, sir. Shoots fire and strikes you dead. What do you mean, a gun? No, sir, said the tilly man, began a vivid account of the heat ray. I very free the attendant interrupted him, looked up at me, I still standing on the bank by the side of the road. Perfectly true, I said. Well, said the tenant, I suppose it's my business to see it too. Look here, said the tilly man, we are detailed here clearing people out of their houses. You better go along and port yourself to Brigadier General Marvin and tell him all you know. He's at Raybridge. No, that way? I do, I said. He turned his horse south. I do, I said, and he turned his house southward again. Half a mile, you say, said he. At most, I answered. Played over the treetops southward. He thanked me and rode on. We saw them no more. Further along, we came upon a group of three women, two children. They were all busy clearing out a labourer's cottage. They got hold of a little hand truck, pulling it up with unclean-looking bundles and shabby furniture. They were all too absurdly engaged to talk versus we passed. By by feet station we emerged from the pine trees and found the country calm, peaceful under the morning sunlight. We were far beyond the range of the heat ray there. They had it. Been not been for the silent desertion of some of the houses, stirring movement of packing and others, nodded soldiers standing on the bridge of the railway, staring down the line towards Woking. They would have seemed very like any other Sunday. Several farm wagons and carts were moving quickly along the road to Adderstone. A sunny through gate of a field saw across a stretch of flat meadows six twelve pounders standing neatly and at equal distances, pointing towards Woking. The gunners stood by the guns, waiting, ammunition, wagons, at business-like distance. Men stood almost under inspection. That's good, said I. They've got one fair shot at any rate. Two men hasted at the gate. I shall go on, he said. Further on towards Weybridge, just over the ridge, there were a number of men in white fatigue jackets, throwing up a long rampart and more guns behind. It's bows and arrows gets a lightning anyhow, said the artillery man. They ain't seen the fire beam yet. The officers 
were not actually engaged, stood and stared at the treetops southwestward. A man digging some would stop every now and again to stare in the same direction. By feet was a tumult, people packing and a score of hazards. Some of them dismounted, some on horseback, are hunting them about. Three or four black government wagons were crosses in white circles. An old omnibus, among the other vehicles, be loading a village street. There were scores of people, most of them significantly sabbatical, to have assumed their best clothes. The soldiers were having great creativity in making them realise gravity of their position. He saw one shriveled old fellow with a huge box and score more than flower pots containing orchids, angrily expostulating with a couple who would leave them behind. I stopped and gripped his arm. Do you know what's up over there? I said, pointing at the pine trees, hid the Martians. Ah, oh, he said, turning. Ah, oh, he's explained that he's, he's valuable. Death, I said, death is coming, death. Leaving him to digest that, if he could, hurried on after the trilling man. A corner looked back, the soldier had left him. He was still standing by his box, the pots of orchids on the lid, on the lid of it, staring vaguely over the trees. No one away which could tell us where the headquarters were established. The whole place was still confusion, as I'd never seen in any town before. Carts, carriages, everywhere, in the most astonishing mentality, conveyance and hoof fledge. Respectable inhabitants of the place, men in golf and boating costumes, wives prettily distressed, a packing riverside, loafers allegedly helping, children excited and for the most part highly delighted at this astonishing variation of Sunday experiences. In the midst of it all, the worthy vicar was very flatly holding an early celebration, his bells jangling out above the excitement. I, the children man, seated on a step of the building, drinking fountain, made a very possible meal upon what we brought with us, patrol or soldiers. Here no longer hussars, but grenadiers in white, were warning people to move now or take refuge in their cellars as soon as the firing began. You saw as we crossed the railway bridge, a growing crowd of people were assembled in about the railway station, with swarming platform, with power, with boxes and packages. The only traffic had stopped, been stopped, I believe in order to allow of the passage of troops and guns to Turtsy. I have heard since that a savage struggle occurred, a place special trains that were put on at a later hour. We made a way bridge until midday, and then at that hour we found ourselves at a place near Ship, Shipperton. Look! With a way, and Thames joined, part of the time we spent helping two old women pack a little cart away with a tremble mouth. At this point, boats are to be hired. There was a ferry across the river. On the Shipton side was an inn with a lawn. Beyond that was a tower of Shipperton. Church, replaced by a spire, rose above the trees. Here he found a sighted noisy crowd of fugitives, and yet the fight had not grown to a panic, but there was already far more people than all the boats going to and fro could enable to cross. <coughs> people came panting along under heavy burdens. One husband and wife were even carrying a small outhouse door between them. Some of their household goods piled thereon. A man told us 
meant to try to get away from Shepton Station. There was a lot of shouting. One man was even jesting. The ideal people seemed to have here was that was that the Martians were simply vulnerable human beings without attack and sack the town to be certainly destroyed in the end. Every now and then people would glance nervously across the way, meadows towards Chertsey, but everyone think over there was still. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Across the Thames is set just the boats, just where the boats landed. Something, everything was quiet. The vivid contrast, the Surrey side. The people landed there. The boats were, were trampling off down the lane. Big ferry boat just made a journey. Three or four soldiers stood on the lawn in the, of the inn, staring, jesting at the fugitives, without offering to help. The inn was closed, now within prohibited hours. What's that? cried a boatman. And shut you fool, said a man near me, to a yelping dog. The sound came again this time, from the direction of Chertsey, a muffled thud, the sound of a gun. The fighting was beginning. Almost immediately, unseen batteries across the river to our right, unseen because the trees took up the chorus, firing heavily, one over the other. A woman screamed. Everyone stood arrested. A sudden stir of the battle. A battle. Near us, and yet invisible to us. Nothing was be seen save flat meadows, cows feeding unconcernedly for the most part, and silvery pollard widows, motionless in the warm sunlight. A soldier stopped them, said a woman beside me doubtfully, hazing us just rows of the treetops. And suddenly we saw a rush of smoke far away up the river, a puff of smoke that jerked up into the air and hung. Four fifth of ground heaved underfoot. A heavy explosion shook the air, smashing two or three windows in the houses near, leaving us astonished. Here they are, said the man in the blue jersey, yonder. Do you see them, yonder? Quickly, one of the other. One, two, three, four, the armoured Martians appeared, far over the little trees, across the fat meadows that stretched toward Chertsey, driving heavily towards the river. Every, across the river, little cowed figures, it seemed at first, going with a rolling motion, as fast as flying birds. Advancing obliquely towards us came a fifth, their armoured bodies glistened in the sun, so they swept swiftly forward 
under the gun upon the guns, growing rapidly larger as they drew nearer. But under the stream left, a motor set is flourished a huge case high in the air, a ghastly, terrible heat ray I had already seen on Friday night smoke towards Chetsey and struck the town. The sight of these strange, swift and terrible creatures a crowd near the water's edge seemed to me be for, the mo- for a moment horror-struck. Those scream and shouting, but silence, a hoarse murmur, then a movement of feet that splashing from the water. A man too frightened to drop the pomodoro drew. He carried on his shoulders, swung around, sent me staggering, blow from the corner of his burden. A woman thrust at me with her hand and pushed, rushed, rushed, rushed past me. I turned with a rush of people, but I was not, I was not too terrified for fault. The terrible heat ray was in my mind to get underwater. That was it. Get underwater, shouted and he did. I faced about again. I rushed towards the approaching Martian, rushing right down the gravelly, gravelly beach and headlong into water. Others did the same. A boatload, boatload of people putting back, came leaping out as I rushed past. The stones under my feet were muddy and slippery. The river was so low that I ran, perhaps twenty feet, scarcely waist-deep. Then as Martian towered overhead, scarcely a couple of hundred yards away, I flung myself forward on the surface, bashes the people in the boats, leaving into the river, sounding like a thunderclap in my ears. People landing harshly on both sides of the river. But Martian's machine took no more notice of the movement of people running this way than that a man would of the confusion of ants and nests against which his foot was kicked. Then half suffocated, I raised my head above water. Martians had pointed at the batteries that were still firing across the river. As it advanced, it swung loose, and I might, and what must have been generated of the heat ray. Another moment, it was on the bank, in a stride, wading halfway across, knees its foremost legs bent, the furthest blank, bank. Another moment, it raised itself to its full height, again close to the village Shepperton. For three of the six guns, which are known to anyone, the right bank had been hidden behind the outskirts of the village, fired simultaneously. A sudden near concussion, the last close upon the first, made my heart jump. The monster was already raising the case, generating a heat ray. The first shell burst six yards above the hood. Gave a cry of astonishment. I saw and thought nothing of the other four Martian monsters. My attention vivid upon near incident. Near incident. Simultaneously, two other shells burst in the air. The other body is the hood twisted around in time to receive, but not in time to dodge a full shell. Shell burst clean in the face of the thing. The hood bulged, flashed, and was whirled off in a dozen frag- trag- trag- tattered fragments of red flesh and glittering metal. Hit, shouted I. With something between a scream and a cheer, heard shouting shouts, people looking the world about me. I could have leaped out of the water with motory exploitation. The decapitated colossus reeled like a drunken giant, but not, not full over, covered its balance by a miracle. No longer heeding its steps with the camera, it fired a heat ray, now rigorously, rigidly uphailed. 
It reeled swiftly upon Shepperton. A living intelligence of Martian Vin the Hood was slain and splashed in the four winds of heaven. The thing was now but a mere indication and a quick device of metal roaring to destruction. Drove along in a straight line and capable of guidance. Struck the tower of Shepperton Church, smashing it down. The impeccable battering ram might have done. Swerved aside, blundered on, clacked with a tremendous force onto the river, out of my sight. A violent explosion shook the air, sprouted water, steam, mud, and shattered metal shot far up in the sky. As camera the heat ray hit the water, and that had immediately flashed into steam. At the moment, a huge wave, a muddy tidal bore, bore, but almost scaldly hot, scaldly hot, came sweeping round the bend upstream, saw people struggling shorewards, and heard their screaming shouting faintly above the seething roar of the Martians' collapse. For a moment, I heeded nothing of the nothing of the heat, forgot the pattern needed for the self-preservation. I splashed through the tumbrunches water, pushing aside a man in back to do so, until I could see round the bend half a dozen deserted boats pitched aimlessly upon the confusion of the waves. Fulgen Martian came in sight downstream, lying across the river, for the most part submerged. Thick clouds of steam were pouring off the wreckage, a thrill of tremendously whirling whiffs. I could see intermittently and vaguely gigantic limbs churning the water and flinging the splash and spray of mud and froth into the air. Tentacles swayed and struck like living arms, and save for the helpless pur- pur- purposelessness of these moments, it was as if some wounded thing was struggling with its life amid the waves. Enormous qualities of ruddy brown liquid fluid was spreading up in noisy jets and a machine. Attention diverted from its death furry, in a furious yelling, like that of a thing called a, a siren in our manufacturing towns, a man, knee-deep under the towing path, shouted only to me, and partly looking back, I see the other Martians advancing with gigantic strides of the riverbank from the direction of Curtsy. Curtsy, the slippered and gun, spoke this time unavailably. As that, I ducked at once under water, and holding my breath until movement was an, an agony, blown a playfully head under the surface as long as I could. Water was in the tumult about, was in the tumult about me, growing rapidly, growing hotter. And for a moment, I raised my head to take a breath, I throw the hair, water from my eyes. The steam had risen in a whirling white fog. At first, hit the Martians altogether. A noise was deafening. They saw them dimly, colossal figures of grey, ragified by the mist. They had passed by me. A two were stooping over the frothing, frothing, tremendous ruins of their comrade. The third and fourth stood aside him. The water one, perhaps two hundred yards from me, over towards Lingham, Dalham. Generators of the heat rays waved high. A hissing beam smocked down. This way and that. The air was full of sound, a deafening and confusing conflict of noises, clangorous din of Martians, the clash of falling houses, the thud of trees, fences, sheds flashing into flame, crackling and roaring of fire. Dense black smoke was leaping up to mingle with the steam from the river as the heat ray went 
to and fro over Weybridge. The impact was marked by flashes in incandescent white, gave lace at once to the smoky dance of lurid flames. The asses still stood intact, waiting their fates, shuddery faint and plaided, plaided in a steam, with a fire behind them going to and fro. For a moment, perhaps I stood there, breast high in the almost boiling water, downfounded at my position, hopeless to escape. Through the reek, I could see the people who had been with me in the river, scrambling out of the water. Through the reeds, like little frogs hurrying through the grass, the advance of a man, or running to and fro, in utter dismay on a towing path. And suddenly the white flashes of heat ray came leaping towards me. Houses caved in as they distilled at its touch, and dotted out flames, the trees changed to fire with a roar. Ray flickered up and down the towing path, licking off the people who ran this way and that. Came down the water's edge, not fifty yards from where I stood. It swept across the river, Shipton. The water and its steam rose like a boiling well. Crystal steam as turned shoreward. Another moment, the huge wave, while high, a boiling point, had rushed upon me. I screamed aloud and scalded. Heart-blinded, agonised, I staggered through the leaping, hissing water towards the shore. Had my foot stumbled, it would have been the end. Felt hopelessly in full sight of the marshes upon the broad, bare gravity split and runs down to the bridge, mark the edge of the railway in Thames, betting nothing but death. A dim memory of the foot of a Martian coming down with a score of yards on my head, driving straight into the loose gravel, wearing its way, and then and that and lifting again over long suspense from an end of the four carrying debris their comrades between them now clear and even presently faint for the veil of smoke receding immediately as it had seemed to me across the vast space of river a meadow and then very slowly i realized that by a miracle i had escaped mike rowe here with a radical idea If you want to see more companies make more things in this country, buy more things from more companies who make things in this country. I refer in this case to the incredible t-shirts, sweatshirts, blue jeans, and more made by my friends at American Giant. Everything American Giant makes is made in the United States. And right now, you can take 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com slash Mike. That's American-Giant.com slash Mike. 